Welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we are back from a bit of a hiatus. Yes. Of course, we're back to our podcast where we talk exclusively about the 2003 television show, The O.C. (laughs) Is that... It might as well be, yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while. I forget what we do. Well, I was looking at um, our last episode, which was in January of 2021, which is shocking. In case you don't know, and I don't know how you would unless you're just spying on us. We have tried to reboot before (laughs) a couple times, (laughs) and me and Kristen still see each other quite a bit. But for purposes of the podcast, it's like, I mean, so much has happened in two and a half years. It's true. I I was listening to the last episode we did, which was our now classic War of the Worlds episode, and uh, we were talking about the then recent January 6th riots. Oh my gosh. I was laughing because I was talking about uh, a book I was reading called uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. I've still not finished. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have read other books, but that that book is a turns out it's a bit of a slog. It's a bit of a long one, huh? Yeah, I'm in the third book, but I, I just kind of get to it when I get to it. But yeah, two and a half years. Um, so hopefully our rabid fan base is still intact. <laughs> I know people have been uh, at least a few comments, you know, kind of hoping we'd come back, which is flattering. Yeah, that is nice. I've actually met some people who have asked about it. So that's really nice to hear. We love doing it. I don't know what happened in that two and a half years. It just flew by. Yeah, I kind of thought I had to do with COVID. Then I realized, oh, wait, all these episodes are just right in the middle of COVID. So it wasn't that. <laughs> yeah. um, just life got in the way, I think. I think so. But I'm real excited to do it again. We got I got my Sometimes Dead is Better t-shirt on, which oh, is available great. through ChristianMerchandise.com. Not Christian merchandise. No. We're not affiliated with the church. No. Wait, is that what Jesus would say? Sometimes that is better because <laughs> I mean, like he was crucified. <laughs> I, but I think eventually, I mean, I think you do have to die to see paradise, right? So sometimes that is better. I guess that's yeah. true. This is a horror movie podcast where we discuss a horror movie. We do a deep dive into it. And then uh, we did do a true crime that tied to it. I think we'll just have like maybe like a true crime little corner this time if we get our fan base back or if we have people who are into wanting to hear about whatever true crime I think about, then maybe we'll do that too. But I think more importantly, we just want to get back to talking about these movies that we love. Yeah. I mean, there's been a, well, I mean, first of all, I'm really curious if you had any kind of true crime that tied into this one. I didn't even think about that. I do. Do you really? Yeah. Genius. (laughs) Kind of funny because we sort of dipped out right in this sort of new, um, kind of a renaissance in horror, but you get your malignants, your barbarians, Bodies, bodies, bodies. We have so many movies that we have to catch up on. Talk to me. I love Talk to Me. We'll have to do that soon. Haven't seen it yet. Oh. But Millennium came out um, actually a few months after we um, recorded our last one. Apparently, it was supposed to come out during 2020 in the theaters. And of course, we know what was going on then. So I guess they released it 
maybe on HBO. I'm not really sure, but yeah, they released it in 2021. And they released it in theaters. Oh, they did, and okay. also on HBO Max. I guess that's what it was called at the time. Now it's just called Max. We got to keep keep up with the times. Oh, times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> We should make it clear. We are going to be talking about the movie Malignant. Yeah. I saw my friend, we were recording Maleficent the other day. (laughs) 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 Which, you know, maybe, I don't know. Hey, that'd be fun. All right. So this was directed by James Wan. He's got how many? Four, maybe? Strong horror movie series under his belt. He started with Saw. Started with Saw. I haven't seen this franchise of Saw. I've seen Saw 1, which I understand is considered to be the best one. And I'm kind of fine with that. Insidious. The Conjuring. Yeah, and I guess The Conjuring is probably his most successful franchise, if that's what you want to call it. I mean, there's franchises within that whole series. The Nun and then Annabelle, which is kind of a spinoff of The Conjuring. So, I mean, he's created an entire world, which is pretty impressive. Him and Lee Wannell also helped write Saw. Also, Lee Wannell wrote The Invisible Man, yeah, yeah, he sure which did, we love yeah. so much, which we have an episode on. You should go back and listen to that. Yes. James Wan went on to direct, you know... Aquaman and uh, one of the Fast and the Furious movies. As I understand it, this was sort of his return to his roots a little bit. I don't know if that's how he approached it, but this is the first horror movie he himself had done and probably since, you know, maybe The Conjuring Part 2 or something. You know, he's produced a lot of stuff, but... Oh, so much stuff. And this is like one of the best looking probably horror movies in a while, you know, leaving aside, you know, of course, um, the whole hereditary Midsummer corner of the horror universe, but, um, but the production design on this movie... Is incredible. Like even if it wasn't a horror movie, just great to look at. You know, you open with a freaking medical hospital on the ocean, <laughs> yeah. and you kind of know. I think from the get go, okay, well, this, I guess this is the type of movie. And of course, I was in much less Seattle, nineteen ninety three, which is kind of you know the sort of epicenter of grunge movement. And so you don't have to do too much hard selling past minute five of this movie for me to be kind of into it. Oh, so we might want to start dropping in some letterboxed reviews, which I think are the funniest things ever. Yeah, I love letterboxed. I did find some funny letterboxed reviews, and one of them was, this was by Patrick on Letterboxed. This movie opens with a shot of a huge, terrifying hospital on a cliff surrounded by lots of fog. So two seconds in, you know it's going to rip. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I didn't write that, but that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> Patrick. This was written by one. Also, his wife is Ingrid Bisu, who was another writer, also stars in the, not stars, she co-stars in the movie, and also Akila Cooper. So it's written by two women. That was great, especially because yeah. it does involve a lot of motherhood themes and the idea of a sisterhood theme. And I'm not the one that's going to jump right into that, but I, I, there's a lot of pretty <laughs> um, interesting politics, not politics is the wrong word, but um, bodily autonomy issues in this movie, let's say. Um, we'll get into that later. I don't know what to do with it. Oh, I'm sure. As dumb as this movie is, and I mean that in a good way. Yeah. It's fun. It's silly. I watched Basket Case last Halloween, which I highly recommend. It's completely bonkers. It's definitely very similar to this movie. I do recommend Basket Case, but you do also have to remember, like, trigger warning. It is an early 80s movie, so there is some, like, sexual elements that aren't handled very well. Oh, I see this now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The one that, um, it's kind of funny. I was reading some reviews earlier, just kind of see what other people had said. Cause I kind of forgot that, uh, yeah, this is actually a pretty good, well reviewed movie. And I think one of the first reviews that said, this is a tasteless exercise in pulp entertainment. And I thought, yeah, I guess. But I, I didn't really think about it as tasteless. You know, if you have this sort of idea, this austere, elevated horror kind of genre, this is not, <laughs> no, <laughs> this no. is not that. And that's nice to kind of sometimes get away from that. Yeah. It walks a really fine line. It, it's, it, it absolutely knows what kind of movie it is, and it leans into the extreme aspects with a sort of sense of humor. 
but it's never like sort of super ironic, you know, uh, like, you know, you know, they, there could have been a whole other purchase movie where the cameras were like winking at the audience the whole time, you know, kind of like maybe a, not necessarily a screen, but, you know, think of a lesser version of that. They don't do that, but they definitely are kind of in on the joke. Like they want you to know that they realize this is a ridiculous enterprise. And there's a lot of, there's a plenty of like sort of in jokes for horror audiences that I kind of want to talk about. This is like a really well executed X Files episode, you know. Just it's oh. it's all the check marks. You know, mad scientists, you know, interviews with doctors for some experiment gone wrong thirty years later. Yeah. There's even a kind of buddy cop couple. Yep. Obviously, you know, horror. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, we should acknowledge X Files turns thirty tomorrow. This has been coming up on all my news feeds. Thirty years. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, first of all, we don't we're not, we have not really doing our normal nonsense. I guess we could, but I am I did find a drink that goes with the. The movie. What you been drinking? It's called a. Uh, I'm showing it to the Zoom people, like anyone but Kristen can see it. <laughs> but it's called um the Velvet Devil. It is a twist off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is from Washington State. This movie takes place in and around Seattle, so fair enough. It has the word devil in the label, yes. which is what um she calls Gabriel. I don't think they even drink in the movie. They don't have a lot of fun in the movie. The main character is kind of you know just sad all the time. <laughs> Yeah, there's not a lot of fun. Well, I guess the sister has a fun job. She's like a princess at birthday parties. She is fun, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, Maddie, whew, she is a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> Does she ever even smile? My goodness. So um, do we? Should we just start talking about the movie or what? You can't go wrong with the opening scene. Like you had said, it starts with a scary castle-looking hospital on a hill. There's fog. You can already tell it's like the Pacific Northwest. Then we have just this great opening scene i mean i just saw jurassic park in the movie theater again did you really i went yeah i went and saw it for the 30th anniversary did you take adam no because nobody wanted to go with me so adam, i went, went, went by myself Aww. he didn't want to go to he doesn't like to go to the theater it's Aww. too loud but i went by myself and i got a giant truly it was like this big wow and i had a great time it was in 3d but so this first opening scene just reminded me of the first opening scene of Jurassic Park. That is what it feels like. The guy actually gets like pulled into a door, yeah. very similar, and they have to shoot her, but instead it's <laughs> we, <laughs> instead they have to take the cancer out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's it's a really well done shot. You have, you know, I'm all about, of course, the colors. You go from a nice green palette to a nice red palette immediately. So, you know, okay, we're in danger, girl. <laughs> And this shot really well, you know, it was exciting. You don't quite know what's going on other than there's some someone named Gabriel. Do they they call him Gabriel? Yeah, I think so. A male figure called Gabriel that is, you know, causing all kinds of trouble. Yeah, it's so bad that the within a second the main scientist is saying, Yeah, just shoot it. <laughs> I guess it's a dart. It's a dart. I mean you can kinda of tell it's a child because it looks like it's wearing like little kid socks. Yeah, and there there are little pandas on it. So I was trying to figure out, well, is that some sort of clue of something why pandas but then I, and i kind of thought well maybe it's supposed to be kind of to indicate it's a actually a female spoiler alert, but maybe not i mean panda's not really suggestive of anything i guess yeah maybe it's just something cute to let you know it's, it is a child okay i guess so yeah but yeah there's that great line which kind of recurs throughout the movie where the main scientist doctor so-and-so says well it's time to cut out the cancer and then yes you kind of get this cool shot of through the hospital um what do you call that thing curtain <laughs> of, a, of a creature oh but also he could broadcast his thoughts through the radio oh yeah that's a great twist actually that's actually very x-files too um but um but yeah i love that twist it's very creepy it reminds me of I'm, i, I can't because I'll, I'll talk about every x-files episode through the whole show but <laughs> but it, it does remind me of the x-files episode where Mulder's in puerto rico and he starts hearing the things through the loudspeaker from uh the aliens it's very creepy also he seems to be able to talk through 
most things. Yeah, he can call you we'll on your see. cell phone, which is really cool. He can call your yeah. cell phone. Like, when you think about the logistics of that, like, does he have to, like, <laughs> psychically dial into, like, Verizon? And then, like, you know, like, I mean, how is that? Anyway. I also was wondering, how, did he get their number? Do you have to actually dial it? But then it says unknown, so that can't be it. That Gabriel, he's such a scamp. It does mention that it's uh, night to nine three during this opening scene, so you get this sense that you know it's in the past, which is a weird thing to say because to me that's still <laughs> not that long ago. And then we cut to a title card that says present day, which always makes you laugh because it's like how presumptuous, you know. I would just say two thousand twenty one because you could be watching this maybe ten years from now. Uh, but before that, we have an amazing credits sequence. Yeah. Kind of around seven. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, Jinx. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Just very 90s kind of in general, you know, back when you would actually have. Which I love. Yeah. Like, I love a good title sequence for a television show. Yeah. And movies don't have it at enough. It had just like body parts and things being cut up and it was just missing. A Trent Reznor song is all it was missing. Yeah, but the, the song they used was kind of, I mean, it, it could have been like Stabbing Westward or something. It was like a, yeah, they, they can't quite get Trent, I suppose. Although I think he probably dig it. But yeah, that's, it's definitely that vibe. I'm sure they knew. That's probably exactly what they were thinking. Like, let's do seven. But anyway, so then we jump to present day. We're introduced to Maddie or Madeline. Madison. Madison. Okay. Yeah. What, what did I write? Oh, I did write Madison. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, and again, she is um, no fun. She's, <laughs> I mean, I love her, but she's, you know, she's not having, she's not living her best life. She shows up. She's. That, that's interesting. You know, usually in horror movies, it does kind of start out that the protagonist is happy or it's a family just moving into a new place or it's a happy family to begin with and she, she just starts out bad yeah she already she's having a hard pregnancy and then they didn't waste any time yeah she's very pregnant showing that her husband yeah, was a piece of shit yeah yeah she has a not a great home life or she's already had um i think they say three miscarriages you learn so she's deservedly you know not in a great place but uh, it's just kind of a funny choice, like, to have the main character. It's not like she's unlikable or anything, but usually you want some sort of <laughs> levity at some point. I guess that comes to the the sister. But, I mean, there's even this great scene that made me laugh where, you know, she's such a Debbie Downer. Like, you know, later on she's watching, like, home videos of herself, and she's like, yeah, that's when I had no friends. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, you know, calm down, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of her vibe, the whole movie. But that actress does a great job. It, it kind of works for the whole you know, obviously the the big reveal because she sort of plays it a little bit understated. Annabelle Wallace. Yeah. Yeah, I thought she was great. I loved her, just her the look of her too, just her face, her bangs. Yeah. Could be very stoic. Um, I haven't really seen her or anything else. I know she was in Peaky Blinders and yeah. I know she was in, I think, the Annabelle movie or something. Her name's Annabelle. Yeah, she's been in a bunch of stuff. I look, I, just nothing I've seen, strangely enough. I've never seen the Tudors and never even seen Peaky Blinders. So I guess I need to get on that. Yeah. I think so. But yeah, so her husband is a complete jerk. By the way, I guess we should acknowledge, since I'm back in my bullshit, that this is another great house movie. It um, is. Their house is awesome. It appears to be like a normal neighborhood, but it's like basically a psycho house dropped in the middle of like <laughs> some just normal suburb. And, you know, it's kind of old looking. It has, you know, giant paintings, you know, ugly ass green kind of 
paints everywhere. Um, Stained glass windows. Apparently a huge attic, we'll learn later. <laughs> yeah, a huge attic. You know, the, if you look at the trim, it's all moldy. They don't seem to really take care of it. Just huge cavernous bathrooms, and it's great. Uh, and, you know, lampshades that are for some reason darker than they could ever possibly need to be. And when you leave from the outside, it's completely immersed in fog, which maybe that's a thing in Seattle. I don't know, but... But when you look at the rest of the neighborhood, it looks like a normal, like, pretty <laughs> much neighborhood. <laughs> I like to, it just has a little black rain cloud over this yeah. one house all the time. So I like the idea that she was like, you know, she and her, you know, asshole alcoholic husband were like, yeah, this one. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminded me of in Parks and Rec. Do you remember when? Um, That's exactly what yeah. I thought about when uh, when April was like, is this a stairway that goes to nowhere? And <laughs> Yes. It's exactly the house I would want to. That's funny. But yeah, so her husband's a jerk. It's kind of inciting incident as he, um, I guess, again, some sort of fight about her being pregnant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he throws her against the wall and, and hits her head, which sort of, you know. It's very violent. It is quite violent. It's, yeah. it's kind of disturbing. It also kind of goes back to our Invisible Man episode. We also we did a whole segment about interpersonal violence and, and women and violence. And so you should go back and listen to that. Pretty shocking scene where you kind of see her head hit the wall and later you see blood kind of i guess when she goes against a, another part yeah. of the wall so you know it's a pretty hard hit and what does she do he has to sleep she on the couch <laughs> she goes we have a then right you're not sleeping with me tonight you were on the couch for throwing me against the wall <laughs> yeah that is usually a sitcom that happens when yeah. the husband goes out and golfs when he right. shouldn't but in this time right. it's a yeah. little different that night, we get to our first scary part, our first kill. That's a good one. Yeah. So Maddie is, she's asleep. Her husband's downstairs sleeping. And the blender comes on, which I was kind of excited, especially when they showed that scene of the blender blade stopping, because I really thought the, the blender's going to come into play, right? <laughs> like in, in your next or in Gremlins, you know, I thought someone was going to get their arm in the blender or something, but unfortunately not. This entity can control the electricity somehow. Yeah. How does he open yeah. the refrigerator? I just think not... like he's kind of running around pranking oh, things. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> you know, just, like, like what is... pulled it from the bottom and ran away. Yeah, they scurry okay. off, you know, because um, he can also make the lights explode and all well, that stuff. Why do ghosts always mess with the electricity? What did they do back in the day? They guess they blew candles out. Is that what they did? I, I kind of thought just like the energy they were projecting from being ghosts was so awesome that it just kind of made that happen or something. Okay. But, I like that. Uh, but yeah, it's a very effective, scary scene. That, that scene where he, um, you know, looks into the living room just, and, and you see the silhouette of, you know, him watching the TV and then the husband turns on lights and it's gone. That's very cool. I'm not really sure how they even did that, uh, but it's really well done. It's very scary. And of course, the scene where he, she emerges behind him is, is great and he has a very good violent death which you know you're kind of cool with because of what you just saw him do you know less than 10 minutes ago yeah that's true that is a first like nice death because you already want that guy to die and he dies a nice horrible death as he should the sister says like okay but he was awful so let's move on with our right. lives yeah. <laughs> but he has a nice neck break um, oh, I think yeah, later yeah. the medical tech says it looks like it was an injuries that would happen in a car crash. Yeah, he's like almost completely turned around and um, like halfway decapitated almost. It's good stuff. <laughs> it's good stuff. So then we meet our buddy cop team, who is George Young, who is so Detec cute. Detective Shaw, yeah. In yes. my notes, I wrote Detective Shaw exclamation mark and just left it there. <laughs> <laughs> he's so cute. Yeah. 
And then his partner, Detective Moss, played by Nicole Bion- Brianna White, who was also great. Yeah, and they have, they have a good kind of chemistry. It's not, you know, obviously anytime you get sort of, you know, male-female cop dynamic, you think Mulder Scully or, or you think even some sort of sexual. They don't really have that. And they're not really trying for that, but it's, it's a good sort of relationship. You know, it's, it's a kind of nice added color to it. The uh, medical tech is played by Ingrid Bisu, who is... The writer, she, right? Yeah, and James Wan's wife. Oh, okay. She's the one that has the crush on the cop, Detective Shaw, right? Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny. Like, they wrote that in. Like, who chose to decided to write that in? Like, when yeah. Ingrid was, was like, what if this character had a crush on this guy? And her husband's just like, that's cool. <laughs> but it's <laughs> like, okay. That was funny. That is funny. Um, that kind of goes back to a lot of like medical tech teams or crime tech teams that are the comic relief. Yeah. You know, like in Bones, right. a lot of them are like the comic relief. In Hannibal, the yeah. comic relief is the. That's the crime scene that, that team. funny of a job, but, you know, but I guess that's the idea. They're so jaded that, you know. So anyway, so then we learned that she's she wakes up in the hospital. You know, her sister is there. Who um, uh, the article I read today said that they. Had, I guess supposedly have been estranged. I didn't quite get that vibe. Maybe, maybe so. Yeah, they were estranged because she says that her husband kept them apart, which is something oh. that abusers tend to do is start to okay. alienate them from. Yeah. And she didn't even realize that she'd had miscarriages. Oh, okay. I missed all that. I just thought she just didn't tell her about the miscarriages, but um, okay. Well, yeah. So at any rate, she's, she's back in the picture. She's sort of the kind of funny sister character. We love her a little bit of comic relief. She's an actress. But we do learn that, you know, Maddie has lost the baby and um, and that seems to be sort of not to get into it. But there's just definitely this idea of, you know, female autonomy, bodily autonomy. And that maybe comes up a little bit more obviously later with the Gabriel character. Her husband has sort of had uh, control of her body, I think. You know, the sort of fight ultimately being the movie kind of seems to read that, you know, he just didn't want her to be pregnant, period. I don't know. I mean, he said how many of my babies are you going to let die? Like, it's just the meanest thing you could possibly say to a woman who's suffered that many miscarriages. Yeah. That's heavy stuff for this movie. For the most part, is fun. <laughs> After she gets home from the hospital, she's almost immediately attacked again. Sort of God's eye view camera of the whole house. And it's like she's running through a dollhouse. I mean, the killer you know, runs in the house and at least she thinks she sees it and she's running away. I guess it's on her head, obviously, but... But what I was going to mention was that it basically ends with her running up the stairs and there's a shot where she runs in the, her bathroom, slams the door. It's basically Wendy Torrance in the bathroom, shining shot. And which I like, only imagine is intentional. It's like the same frame. She's kind of right, got her whole right. body against the door and she's wearing the bathrobe. Just thought it was really oh, cool. Okay, really okay. well touch. Doesn't really do anything else for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> kind of funny in jokes for the horror crowd is like the next scene they show, I think, is... Kind of what you would see, I always call it the Kevin McAllister scene, like from A Nightmare Elf Stream, where it looks like she's she's bringing these tools out, and it looks like she's going to make all these booby traps, and she's got her hammer, and and after like a minute of this, of this big montage, she's she's <laughs> putting a lock on her door. Right. <laughs> That's it, just a deadbolt. Um, all right, I think well, that, she also, she puts some wood up over the windows. Okay, yeah, but I was expecting like, you know, trip wires and like, flared, right. you know, complete Nancy from Nightmare Elm Street stuff. It's kind of basically saying, yes, we're throwing all these horror tropes at you really quickly. This is the movie you're in. But then it sort of kind of does its own thing at the same time. Yeah, that tracking shot through the house is so cool. As it starts on the bottom floor, right? And then it tracks up. You see the floors above. After this scene, she 
kind of reveals to her sister, like, by the way, I was adopted. <laughs> and then that's the first time we get that that huge music that we see a lot, which is, did you see that that was uh, actually the Pixies? Yeah, that's Where's actually. My I, line? Yeah, yeah I, I wasn't sure about that until I you know Googled it, but. I think, and I, I, I almost feel bad because I Google almost confirmed it for me. I, I wanted this to be like a pet theory of mine, but that's obviously is it's. I think that's a big clue to the twist of the movie. Is you know where is the mind is most primarily known from Fight Club, right? Which is obviously the Tyler Durden, Edward Norton. I forget what his character's name is. Does he even have a name? <laughs> you know the split personality or whatever you want to call it. Twist of that movie exactly. Is they're ba- yeah. they're basically layering that into it, but it's not quite the Pixie song. It's a score doing a slightly sideways version of it. I know. So it's kind of subliminal. And I was, I was actually arguing myself last night as I rewatched this. Like, did I, I can't remember when or if even I figured out the twist when I first watched it. But I do remember thinking, catching the Where Is My Mind theme and kind of kind of glomming on that. Did you register that when you watched it? Not that no, you I have mean, to. But. I know it sounded familiar. I honestly kind of thought that it sounded like something that they took from another horror movie. Yeah. Because it sounded familiar. So I kind of thought maybe it was in something else that I'd seen, but I, I never would have occurred to me that it was that song. Like that song, when I hear that song, it just it's one of those songs that just like brings tears to my eyes immediately. The way it's arranged, it had some kind of emotion when I heard it. I know this somehow, but I never would have realized it. Probably way for thinking that musical choice. Maybe they just thought it I don't think so. So then we move on to the Seattle Underground Tour, which is right up my alley. I Apparently didn't know that existed. Thing. I yeah, was very excited. Thing. I went and Googled it immediately. Apparently, there is a like legit original tour. Is this, this what was your like, true crime is going to be about? No, no oh. unfortunately. There was a fire in 1889, and it destroyed like 31 blocks. So they decided to build on top of it, but it's still underneath there. And so you can go visit it, which I thought was fascinating. They have a 75-minute guided walking tour. 75 minutes? Well, <laughs> <laughs> It is. But apparently, th- this is the original underground don't be fooled by imposters it says all the while tour guides regale you with side-splitting stories of our pioneers that didn't want you to hear it's history with punchlines which i'm not sure if i'm that excited about that i don't know if i want someone trying to do punchlines at me i just want to know if there's anything creepy that happens down well even though the great ghost story we did in savannah i mean that guy had a lot of jokes i mean that's pretty much oh, all that's like, true i guess <laughs> he had more jokes than any actual ghost but or <laughs> scares true. or anything that but they, I think that's you know, they like to have some some funnies in there. But yes, I definitely want to go there. We'll have it on our our list of places to go on our sometimes that is better tour. Yeah, well, I liked her also her Pearl Jam Nirvana joke. Oh, what'd she say? She goes, "This is a Seattle underground, and I don't mean Pearl Jam and Nirvana." Oh. I laughed. Right. Yeah, I cheered. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she's the hostess tour. She's you know immediately. Uh, I guess she's what would you call it? Abducted by Gabriel. Right. Um, it's a very scary scene. And uh, she wakes up in some sort of, let's call it, an, I mean, obviously it's an attic of some sort. Um, you know, you see the big ceiling fan, uh, not ceiling mm-hmm. fan, but what do you call that? Fan. <laughs> yeah. The Gabriel creature is just sort of creeping around and like yelling at her through the radio. It's very, <laughs> it's, 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 it's very, she's very distressed. Yeah, she, she should be. <laughs> Gabriel, which I guess we should go and just call it Gabriel because they do, um, says to the woman that's been abducted through this radio in the attic that... You don't know how know how long I've waited for this. Right. Which is, a you know, okay. And then she says, but first, Dr. Weaver. So Dr. Weaver is the name of the doctor that we met at the beginning of the movie. It seems like she uses, or Gabriel uses, the woman to call <laughs> Dr. Weaver 
to leave this sort of creepy ass voicemail. <laughs> well, no, she, they call her and she says, hello. <laughs> yeah. And she says, hey. <laughs> and she's just like, who's this? Well, it's, <laughs> a very, a it's a very circuitous way of like just calling Dr. Weaver. I'm going to talk to this woman, <laughs> tie her up in the attic, have her call. I mean, well, can't can Gabriel just call her himself? Like, or I mean, he seems pretty good at that. I mean, I know he had his own reasons for abducting the woman, but it's just kind of a funny scene. He, I know what he says, like, um, we're going to cut the cancer out, or whatever that phrase is. But I can't remember, yeah. Does he, is it like the doctor's voice, or is it Gabriel's voice? Gabriel's. Oh, okay. Yeah. He just calls her, and then she's like, I don't, can you get be more specific? Right. <laughs> a lot of former patients call me. And then we have the great scene when Maddie is at home. This is the first time she kind of... I don't know, disassociates and... Yeah, and I think this is a scene where she sees Dr. Weaver, I guess, in the... Is it the washing machine mirror or something or the dryer mirror? Yeah, she's yeah. like behind the washing machine, which yeah. is very scary. Yeah. And then... But it's not like a ghost. Yeah, she's channeling, psychically seeing um, yeah. what exactly is happening to poor Dr. Weaver. I thought that those transition scenes were really well done. Like yeah. The way the walls dissolve and then all of a sudden she's in where Gabriel and Dr. Weaver are. I think I figured out around this time, like, okay, well, she's somehow doing this. This is like her. Or I thought it was like her long lost brother, which I guess is sort of true. But I mean, was this, what did you think was actually happening around this time? Or do you remember? Uh, I am not sure. I mean, I think I assumed that this woman and this entity were attached somehow. But I don't think I figured out the twist. Yeah. But I did rewatch it with my friend Melissa at some point, And I was pleased to see that she did not... I mean, because she kept saying, like, is it this, is it this, is this? And I was like, well, you know, playing this sort of coy, whatever. But she didn't quite figure out until it happened. Like, she had plenty of theories, some of them wackier than others. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really curious how most people, because when you, when you rewatch it, it's like super obvious. And it's, you know, the, and it plays differently. And even it's actually kind of almost more entertaining because you kind of spot the clues and how they shoot certain things. Yeah. And it's not really trying to hide anything. And like, almost that's kind of doesn't seem to really give a shit whether you figure it out or not. Cause either way, the reveal <laughs> is like awesome and funny. And, you know, yeah. I mean, I think I remember kind of letting myself not really want to know either, kind of just going along with it and trying to just see what happens. And then when it did happen, I remember just being like shocked because it also, once you find out the reveal, it's it just, so good. Yeah. It just escalates from there. Like, yeah. there's no time to stop and think about. What happened or, oh, the guy's been living in her brain. There's no, we'll get to that, I guess. But, (laughs) but so then we see the murder of Dr. Weaver, which is another great, great murder. I also um, love the idea that like Maddie is stuck there. That's very terrifying thinking that you can't move. It also kind of reminded me of, again, like Hannibal, like Will Graham has to almost see these crimes happen again. That's, that's kind of like his gift, but also his curse. And so she's kind of like stuck there. She can't move. She has to watch what's happening, and then the entity gets some kind of medical award that is very sharp. Yeah, best and psychiatrist, then, I think. Best psychiatrist. <laughs> it's like an Emmy, yeah. That's a great kill, too, because, like, the blood splatter is, like, thick. Like, it's just, it's great gore. Oh, yeah, she stabs, like, right in the face or something. It's just really yeah. good. And she also fashions her weapon out of that, her sort of Freddy Krueger. Which is... So much fun. As yeah. a also a crafter, I really appreciated the repurposing of that. Oh, yeah. The DIY of, her, <laughs> of Gabriel up in the attic. And then, like, the ladies on the wall, like, wondering what the fuck is going on. 
Because you kind of think at first, like, well, it's just obviously like some sort of monster. But then once I, I think the fashioning of the murder weapon, because it's just a certain level of irony, you know, and you kind of know, OK, well, this is an intelligent thing or something. It's not just some mindless golem, I suppose. I think that's kind of supposed to be a clue into, you know, that it has some sort of sense of purpose beyond just mindlessly killing things. I think also it's just a cool, um, cool murder weapon. I do wish I knew. I mean, I probably should. I'm sure you can Google it. But what was the award actually for? <laughs> oh, um, right. I mean, I, I'm sure it's something to do with her. Maybe like their medical research. Yeah. That maybe something to do with yeah. Gabriel. I'm not just sure. Like spelling bee award or something. <laughs> <laughs> so then we have um, another psychic murder. And this is also really well done where um, there's another, I guess, another doctor that was associated with this. Whatever research that, I don't know, may come up later. Who knows? Very much basket case. It's very much the same. There's actually, I, I think, see three doctors. Case. Yeah. Is that, is oh, that's... yeah. There's like three doctors that they decide to take their revenge on. And I remember reading something that like James Wan said there's no IP this is based on, which is, I guess it's not. But it does seem very similar. Yeah. And so this next one, I think this one's so scary, too, because it starts out with Maddie like asleep in bed where you should be safe. And then she wakes up can't move and she's in this guy's bed yeah well and you also see the great sort of there's a hotel across the street from where this guy lives called the silver cup or i guess it's an apartment complex and there's a great neon sign that's sort of um flashing into the house which gives it a great sort of red green kind of ambiance but it's also how she's able to tell the cops later this is where he lives because there's a oh yeah know, yeah fire. it's just a cool yeah. little plot device but also it just is. visually it's really cool looking but yeah, so it's a, it's a great scene. She uses that same um, trophy to just stab, stab, stab. That guy right in the face is really, it's oh really great. Yeah. He gets it bad, yeah. He is angry. Especially when they show it later. They show his face just just open. Just a big open wound. Yeah, it's the first time you see Gabriel's face. And so that's, I mean, and this maybe threw me off. I can't quite remember. Because, okay, you think, okay, well, it's not her. You know, it's, you know, it's something else. I kind of thought maybe, well, it's some sort of aborted twin or something. I was definitely thinking Dark Half. You know, this, this is what it reminds me. This is a much better movie than Dark Half. Um, although I do have a soft spot for that movie, you know. Um, this is a George Romero movie. And, of course, Stephen King. But this is just, you know, I, I think that's the first time I thought, okay, well, I'm probably on the wrong track because this is obviously a whole other creature, you know. I was expecting it to be like a twin of her, you know. Or would look like her, which it does because right. of the hair and everything. The hair. Um, but she does get a, get a good police sketch of it. Which well, they show. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, I would frame that on the PlayStation wall. It's, I cracked up, yeah. Also, it's very accurate. They yeah, very it's actually job. quite good. But I love that. Do you think at some point the police sketch was like, this can't be right? <laughs> <laughs> like, what is she telling him? Like, um, yeah, uh, Fangs for t- yeah, fangs. Like, how's that question even come up? Like, how, you know, I don't know. Um, more pulpy. It's more pulpy than that. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't see its face. The ring, the ring. Yeah, that's what it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also like that the PlayStation is like super gothic and like you know, there's a ridiculously open space. You know, completely impractical. It reminded me of the the newspaper office in Zodiac. You know, just like oh, all open. Yeah. But even grander, it's like, it looks like it takes place in an asylum or something, you know, just completely impractical, no cubicles or anything. Um, <laughs> but I love that sort of design choice. So sort of another moment where they think, yeah, this is not based in any reality that you weren't even trying. This is what our PlayStation is. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, because of course, later you have this great set piece in it. 
Uh, but yeah, I'm glad you brought the police sketch that, you know, I LOL'd as, a, as the kids said 20 years ago. <laughs> also, I thought it was a good idea for them to go to the police in the first part, you know, because usually, you know, it's just kind of a nice development. Like, then she's talking to the sister and she goes, okay, this is kind of strange. I should just go to the cops. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I also loved that cause there's so many times in movies and TV shows when the sibling or whoever is just like, are you sure? I think you're crazy. Maybe we should. But the sister was like, nope, we're going to the police. Listen to my sister. She knows what she's talking about. She has psychic abilities. I play the psychic in a TV show once. I know what I'm talking about. Like she was just 100% there for her sister. And I really did love that actress too. Yeah, She had she, kind of Florence Pugh vibes. Yeah, she was Maddie in a show I watched um, a little bit called Mr. Mercedes, which is a Stephen King show. Oh, yeah. I didn't finish it. It's, it's a good show, but the third season sucks. But uh, she plays the main character's uh, daughter. She's good. Yeah, she's she's a kind of unique presence. But yeah, um, she does have a Florence Pugh kind of vibe. That's, that's a good point. I like her. There is this another line that um, Gabriel has when he's killing the doctor, you know, stabbing in the face over and over again. The doctor asks, uh, uh, you know, what do you want from me? And he says, I want you to see what the cancer has become. Hmm. Which is kind of interesting. There's a lot of weird... <laughs> bodily and let's just say you know a kind of abortion type oh uh, like what what it could have become if you hadn't have tried to cut it out right yeah mm. and uh where do we land all that later what is you know i don't know the, i don't think the movie's saying any particular thing but there's a lot of food for thought on um you could take you could take a message from this movie and go completely south of it if you wanted to as far as like <laughs> um this is a pro-life movie about how gabriel should never have been aborted or whatever you know um, which, you know, fine. Um, I kind of doubt that's what James Wan and um, his <laughs> wife had in mind. But That's quite a take right there. I was struggling, but I, I just, you know, <laughs> it's more like it's something that kind of bugged me a little bit. You know, it, it, there's a lot of, and it comes up later, mostly, this sort of sympathy for this aborted thing. You know, let's, you know, call it what it is, I guess. I can definitely see that as being kind of a, a reading on it. You know, horror does weird things to people, you know, um yeah, I mean, I guess later when the mother talks to Gabriel, he does. She does say, "You are my son." And there's a lot and of shame on, and I, I'm jumping ahead, you know, eight levels. I know, but there's a lot of shame, and this is what bothered me: this idea that the mother had made some sort of mistake, you know, in you know giving up. You don't see my air quotes, audience. I'm sorry, um, but in giving up the baby, i.e., sort of. And, and I know what she really did was she you gave up her daughter, but there's also this idea of this later you know, abortion that happens kind of because of this whole thing. And there is a certain amount of shame and almost forgiveness has to be put on this mother character. There's just a lot going on there that I don't quite know how to unpack, nor am I, maybe you're not really supposed to, maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but that's kind of why, that's just how I watch these stupid things. <laughs> I don't think the movie is as stupid as it kind of makes you want to think it is, I guess is my point. Oh, interesting. I mean, there is a lot to the idea of this, this mother who was, we learn later, who was 15. Yeah. And I mean, how much responsibility is she supposed to take for not only a healthy baby girl, but one that has this Gabriel. Apparently she has a full grown creature going on the back of her head. Right. I mean, I'll give it up too. And also, I can't take care of that. <laughs> how are you supposed to have sympathy for Gabriel? Because it appears like before they even cut him out, he's causing trouble. Oh, yeah. He's all up to, up to all kinds of bad things. Yeah. But they're also, I guess, they're also experimenting on them already. So, I mean, fair. I guess. I'm just not sure what the, 
I don't want to say message because I don't think movies need or have to have a message or not much, much less this one. But I do think there's a thematic element that's sort of buried throughout that. I'm just not quite sure what it is. I mean, I just love when horror explores the idea of childbirth and mothering and how I could see how some people would want to keep horror out of that because it's a beautiful thing, whatever. But I've done it twice. And I will tell you that pregnancy and birth is violent and it's bloody and it's psychologically difficult. So not only after you have this violent experience of birthing something that comes out of you, then you have to raise it and take care of it. And you're like responsible for it, responsible for its actions. I don't I can't think of a better idea for a horror movie. And I do love that horror will dive into that as like Rosemary's Baby and Mother, even the new Evil Dead Rises. I love the idea that we're willing to talk about it in that sense, because it is it can be horrific. Yeah, that's so. kind of fast. I never really thought about it like like this movie does belong in that sort of genre of movies, I suppose. You know, I mean, I was just kind of thinking about, bo- you know, body horror in general, but it's I guess more specifically in this sort of mother <laughs> horror movie genre, which, you know, and from Rosemary Babies on down. Uh, what are some other examples? I, I know there's a ton, but I mean. Oh, there's a movie called Inside where a woman is I've trying to steal one. another woman's baby. That's one. Of, that's always on the list of like one of the most horrific horror movies to watch, I think, um, which is a real thing that happens. Women have stalked other women and murdered them and taken their babies out of them. I mean, crazy. what is more horrific than that? How that's can that happened? not be inspiring for a horror movie i mean the idea of giving birth and and the baby not surviving and how do you move on from that how does maddie move on from losing these babies and yeah well i mean it, literally for a while you were kind of hosting a parasite you were hosting is, a parasite yeah which is what this um i, I would say that alien and aliens actually go into that subconsciously anyway you know the idea of the egg chest burst or all that but uh, yeah, I think, I think that malignant. I mean, that's the title of the movie. Uh, <laughs> maybe exactly. it's as simple as that. Yeah. Well, I just listened to this podcast by the New York Times called "The Retrievals," and it's also a horrific story about these women who were going through IVF trying to conceive a baby, and so they would have to have egg removals. But the nurse who was in charge was stealing their fentanyl, so they were going through these very painful procedures without pain relief and they kept saying this hurts this hurts something's not right and they just kept doing this to women and they were just have to suck it up and go through the pain and also just the whole theme of that is just like how women's pain is not taken as seriously well that's interesting especially black women's pain it's not taken as seriously as men's pain or even white women's pain and it's just like that whole idea is just let's put that in a horror movie women are expected to just take this pain and this blood and just move on with their lives and just move through their day anyway <laughs> didn't think we get that deep with this movie did you <laughs> yeah there's a great scene where i'm not sure where it is all i guess they're at the playstation slash you know asylum <laughs> but uh Maddie's in the bathroom and she gets a call from Gabriel. Gabriel just calls, straight up calls her. Is that he how just, I read He just it? calls her up. 
you know, how an old yeah. sibling will do. And yeah. she actually remembers his name. I think that yeah, was uh, when she first calls yeah. him Gabriel. Yeah. And he calls her. Uh, I first thought he said Beverly, but it turns out he said, I think, Emily. Is that Emily, name? Emily, yeah. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure the way this film, was, this scene was shot, where they keep showing the back of her head. And like yes. you see her talking to herself in the mirror. And the camera's just very much focused on the back of her head. I mean, they kind of get away with it because it's some, I guess you're supposed to be focusing on herself in the mirror. But that's when I kind of thought, okay, there's, I thought something was going to come out then and there from the back of her head. But it didn't. So then I thought, okay, well, I guess that's not. Uh, maybe I'm just very conscious of the back of my head because I'm bold. I don't like people <laughs> looking at the back of my head. I'm like, you know. um, so I just thought it was odd that they would have this whole scene that was focused at least partially on the back of this woman's head. No, Yeah, you're definitely right. Well, good. Thank you. But then also at that same police scene, it was very funny when they had the other guy do the age progression photo. And then he opens up the age progression photo because I find the picture of the little girl that was at Dr. Weaver's house. And then the age prog- progression photo is just like, a picture of Maddie, like it, <laughs> <laughs> it like it's her Facebook profile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then we go back to where this all started. We go back and we talk to Sydney's mom, Maddie's adopted mom. Luckily, her mom has a supercut of all the weird times when she was a kid yeah. when she was talking to Gabriel. Did you see the who the little girl was? No, who? McKenna Grace. It was Who's in the that? haunting of Hill House. Mm. Okay, I, I just focused on Maddie. Like, yeah, that's back when I had no friends. Yeah, my life sucked. Right. And they're like, enough. We're like, okay, we get it, Maddie. <laughs> um, talking to her invisible friend Gabriel, who she—that's who she thought it was. You know, just her invisible friend. I had one of those. Did you have an invisible friend at any point? I don't think I did. My kids. Imaginary did. friend is the word. Yeah, I remember having one till at least I was five, or at least telling people I did. And I remember <laughs> it died on the way to Atlanta one day. My sister threw it out the window. <laughs> oh, my and gosh. I, and I just chose to believe that's how it perished. Yeah, Elise had a imaginary friend named Ghosty. And it was always around. And it was a little boy who got hit by a car. So that's fun. It's always oh. good to hear your kids oh, say so that. Oh, so it was already dead? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Ghosty. Okay. <laughs> Even more disturbing than mine. Okay. Mine just died. Which supposedly is what happens to your imaginary friends. That's how you get past them. But you know. Really? All right. So now we're on to our, our last murder of one of the doctors. I think we're on... There's been so many murders. Because at the beginning, I'm not sure how many people he killed. I think we need to do an over-under on how many people do you think Gabriel killed. Oh, I mean, goodness. It's, it's, it's in the lot. dozens, at least. You know, just in the present <laughs> day. We don't know what happened at that you know crazy hospital back in the day. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so now we have uh, Dr. John Gregory. I'm not sure why I wrote down his name, but <laughs> um, seems important. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's the third doctor in this, I guess, um, trio of people that were doing these experiments. But this time, Officer Shaw shows up because he's been working late. But this leads him to Dr. John Gregory because of something i forget uh but he's already dead he's in the bathtub and there's this great shot of gabriel who's i don't know on the ceiling or something in the bathroom and so quickly this very seven like chase sequence commences you know mostly because of you know fire escapes and people jumping and stuff yeah but also this is the first time you see the sort of physics of gabriel you know just jumping and doing oh my gosh it's so creepy yeah like a body that's backwards. Right, I mean, yeah. just the idea, like the arms are moving backwards, yeah. the legs are moving backwards, and it's running and jumping and jumping down. Didn't, um, wasn't Kevin Spacey wearing like a long jacket in that scene? Yeah, too? he was wearing like a trench coat or something. Yeah. They should have caught Kevin Spacey back then. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was trying to figure out how they did this. And, you know, I just read that it's a combination of obviously stunt actors, but also like kind of people that specialize in, I guess, bodily contortionism. I guess you call them contortionists. Yeah, there was a contortionist yeah. who was credited, uh, Marina Mazipa, yeah. who has been in a lot of other things. Yeah, and I like how he has puts on gloves. He has a little special outfit that he does when he becomes Gabriel. Yeah, like most horror villains do, which is great. I love that he has to, he feels comfortable in his little outfit. Yeah. And he also wants to be his own person. So, you know, he doesn't want to That's maybe true. wear what she's wearing or whatever. And but anyway, this is big action sequence. There's, and it leads to the Seattle underground again. So you think, okay, well, that's mm-hmm. come up again. I guess he's, he just likes it down there. <laughs> um, well, it's a good place to hide out, I'm sure. For sure. Yeah. I, I did like when they went down there and there was like an antique car. Oh. And I was, oh, it just made me think of Titanic. Yeah, I, was, I was like, could they just get in there? No, I just thought it'd be funny if they had a big handprint on there. Like, that'd be a nice yeah. little joke, but <laughs> they didn't do that. How could they resist, honestly? <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a very elaborate chase sequence. It's really well done. There's this great shot of Gabriel on top of the car. It's very spooky. And then he you know jumps down on top of Dr. Uh, Officer Shaw. I don't know why I keep elevating him to a doctor. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, he gets hurt, but Gabriel escapes. You know, Officer Shaw says something like, what the fuck, as he should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he lives. Uh, but then, you know, that's kind of the point. You kind of get the idea. Okay, he's like almost like a, a superhero. He's just, you know, he's not you're just your average, you know, kind of ring type ghoul. He's very physical. He exists in the real world. He can fuck you up. He can run very fast. He, he has super strength, for super sure. Super strength, yes. yeah. And he moves very cool. And, uh, you, know, you know, this movie didn't really need any of that. That's kind of the cool thing about it. Like, Let's just say this movie could have ended, say, at right before the police station scene and been still a very effective kind of psychological horror movie. But it decides to do something like kind of extra. <laughs> to me, it takes it from like a solid, I don't know, 3.5 to just a five stars, bananas, bananas, bananas <laughs> movie. You know, if that's a rating. Yeah. But this is sort of the first hint of that, this sort of extended chase sequence, which I wasn't expecting. So, oh, wow. This is like almost like an action movie. Well, also, in those um, videotapes that the mom has. We learned that anything that Maddie does that's bad. Oh, she could see the flashbacks. Is that what it was? That wasn't on videotape, was it? It's both. They show some of the videotape and then later she has flashbacks. Yeah. So, so she's flashing back yeah. and she re- there's some things that when she's bad, she says it's Gabriel, which is a lot of, a lot of kids do, right? When they yeah. have an imaginary friend, they say, no, it wasn't me. It was ghosty. It elevates from just getting icing off the cake. Then she calls her on her little... Fisher Price phone. Yeah, that was cool. And says maybe you should go get some cake. And then it escalates to actually take that knife and go kill your parents. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Gabriel was very jealous about this new baby coming to the world, which is we learn later is, you know, obviously the sister. You know, we get the sense that I guess Gabriel wanted to be there's this idea that the imaginary friend is sort of very possessive and it kind of goes both ways. And then at some point, the child psychologically decides that, you know, it, it the only way you can get past it is if it, if it dies or it's replaced somehow. So kind of those both things happen here, I guess, when new baby is born. I guess what Gabriel's worried about was that it would be replaced, even though Gabriel's not really an imaginary friend. Hey, I get it. Like, I was a middle child. I loved my older brother. And when we were going to have this new baby, I remember not being so thrilled about really? it. And then I was really mean to my sister for a very long time. Oh. I never tried to kill her. Good. <laughs> but but I really like kind of resented the fact that she came along. And I really thought everything was going real great with me and my brother. I, I kind of felt that she kind of came in 
and and kind of crashed the party. And it took a long time for me to kind of get over that. I think it was a lot of it was subconscious. And the way I treated her was just probably not great. But now we're fine. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I, I was a I guess the baby of the family, so I you know had none of those issues. But um, but me and my brother still fall all the time. I guess my sister hated both of us. But. <laughs> But I'm also not sure what they expected when they adopted a kid from like Shutter Island, you know, <laughs> yeah. like they were. <laughs> how do they even like, how does that adoption process work? I mean, my God, like. I don't know. They drove uh, up to that place. If I drove up to that place, I'd be like, I'd turn right back yeah. around. And also, be like, just... what's this giant surgical sore on the back of her head about? Oh, nothing. Oh, right. It's fine. Nothing. <laughs> it's like, is that a hand? No, no, shut up. <laughs> so the police come back over to her house. Oh, yeah. She gets a woman and... to do regression hypnosis therapy on her. Right. Which of course. Mulder. You know, Mulder did that. Yes. That's how he knows about her sister, his sister. Yeah, that that has to be that has to be in there, of course. And that's when we get the flashbacks. That's right. Yeah. So then, after all that, then uh, the woman upstairs gets loose and falls down, which was a great reveal Such a too. Great like reveal, I didn't yeah. think about her being in the attic. Yeah, and also I didn't. I, I this is not my thought. I found this online today, but the idea of her being the attic in her head, kind of like you know that sort of yes, uh, yes. metaphor for Gabriel being in her head a little bit. Very cool, but also yes. just a great reveal. It's so, in a way, obvious. Like, you know it's an addict. I just didn't think. And you kind of know it's related to her. You obviously know Gabriel's somehow related to her. But I know time to think, okay, that's just her addict. <laughs> I, I assumed it was somewhere in the underground. I mean, there's obviously light coming in, but maybe there's another yeah. an area of it. that's. Then they uh, have the Pixie song come back on again. Oh, yeah. And then she screams. Yeah. <laughs> what else are you going to do? And yeah, that's how she gets arrested. Yeah, which again, fair enough. But, like you know, the yeah. the woman was tied up and in her attic, and she's kind of. Well, also in the attic, they find the murder weapon. Oh right, yeah. There's plenty to implicate her, <laughs> and it is her. So I mean, they're not wrong. I mean, this what were they do? Like, oh, let's go for the sketch artist. I mean, like, uh, right after that, we have the sister uh, Sydney. She goes to the abandoned hospital, which is. Kind of funny. It seems like prime real estate on the ocean, but they just left it abandoned. <laughs> this right. huge, like, you know, castle, basically. All the files are still there. They didn't really do... I mean, there's a huge HIPAA violation, by the way, but, you know, all the medical <laughs> records are still there. All the videotapes. Videos, everything. Just, you know, anything you could possibly want to know about all these patients. And they're like, it's fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> seems like they would want to cover that up, but... And so she gets the tapes and bring them back to her mom's house. I did like that whole scene of her going through the hospital. And what's creepier than an abandoned hospital? But yeah, her and her mom have a good time, a little slumber party watching <laughs> creepy videos of Oh my gosh. That reveal of Gabriel when he finally sees oh, yeah. what's behind. It is so scary. And just so bold because you kinda of think to the extent you kinda of know what the reveal is, you think it's gonna be someone like, a little bit more subtle, but yeah, this full on creature like just like, arms going nice <laughs> like a T Rex, you know, just arms going there's legs. I mean like how do they just this kid just walks around like that, like that thing on it all the time? Like it's hilarious, but it's very scary because the second you see it, it's it's just a shock, you know, and they, they do it very well. Uh, you know, the music kicks in and it's a great kind of practical effect. How do they know it's a boy? Mm. That'd be funny if it did, if you, if you came around and it had just like a little <laughs> penis. <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, I guess it doesn't really talk. I guess they could maybe the, like take DNA from it. Yeah. And then find out it's a boy. I suppose. But... Maybe it has the, yeah, it has the right number chromosomes or something we have a nice little medical explanation yeah. about how it's a it's a teratoma yeah do you want to explain what that is my sister had a teratoma one time in her tailbone and they had to have it removed and it had like teeth and hair in it what 
Yes. Oh, goodness. I think Colin, I know. my roommate Colin, had something like that, too. Oh, Colin. Wow, that's crazy. But yeah, so what are we talking? We're talking about a, a twin that was absorbed in utero, you know, as, as you know, this really happens. This is a phenomenon where the, uh, of the eggs doesn't, not eggs, but one doesn't survive and it gets absorbed into the other fetus. Am I saying this right? Yeah, this is, um, I think uh, in the office, Dwight Schrute explains it very well where he says that he also absorbed his twin. So now he has all the strength of a human man and also a little baby. <laughs> So, but something goes wrong here, and it, um, I guess, just decides to metastasize and grow almost like it's a parasite on the back of this poor girl's head. Which, goodness, you know, what a way to live. But back in the day, they tried to either kill or, you know, silence or abort Gabriel, uh, but they couldn't get all of it. You know, they <laughs> they still have a little head. They just pushed it, <laughs> pushed it back in, just pushing a little noggin there and sewed up. Is kind of what they say. <laughs> Um, well, because they are attached to their brain, they say. Yeah. So there's really no way. And that was just, that was very disturbing to me because it's like, I'm just thinking about its little legs and arms or they cut it off and um, hopefully if I get a little sedative, I don't know. But I guess I'd be pretty mad too. Yeah. Kind of goes dormant. You know, she doesn't really need it anymore or just, you know, gives up. I don't know. <laughs> it's like it sucks. Um, but then it awakens, uh, however many years later, 30 years later, whatever, when the asshole husband pushes against the wall. Right. She hits her head and Gabriel, you know, kind of emerges again. You know, it emerges with this sort of act of, you know, male violence about. Yeah. Uh, which is much, very much about her um, pregnancy. You know, she has no control of her own body and it, it has all to do with these these doctors and these men. So, that, you know. That is so interesting. Do with that what you will. I don't know what to do with it, but it's it's kind of a fun thought experiment but fuck all that because then we get to the jail scene <laughs> yes <laughs> well, yeah so the jail scene is just like so ridiculous like I mean, the fact that all these women would all of a sudden want to fight yeah like they probably all have had a bad day they're all in jail yeah but they all want to fight yeah I've, I've, i love the cast of characters in the jail scene like i just thought like <laughs> again this is a movie about kind of movies and like it's like they did like central casting like jailhouse lesbians <laughs> like go <laughs> like, like that's just who they are like and and they're all like you know there's the woman in the like with the afro and the sort of leather outfit and then there's the kind of redneck you know truck stop yeah. and it's like you know by no means are we supposed to i suppose take this seriously but is the coolest thing to me the creepy is like even after all the violence happens like that maddie still thinks she's just sitting there calmly with all these <laughs> You know, the jailhouse people. Yeah. That's such a great shot. It's just when she emerges, it's just so great because she flips her arms around, flips her legs around, and then finally Gabriel emerge. We get to see Gabriel emerge yeah. from the back of her head. Oh, my gosh. And apparently Zoe Bell, we had read that is. So I understand she plays the woman that says, what the fuck, right? The I think so. I, yeah. That infuriates me because I did not catch that until I just read it. Well, she had quite a haircut. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, she has there. a great line reading, you know, what the fuck? But but before yeah. that, they're all teasing this, you know, sort of bougie girl that's stuck in the jail with all the, you know, sort of apparently people that deserve to be there, <laughs> as they put it. But uh, but Gabriel emerges, you know, you know, they're you know at the same time they're revealing in the flashback or the the VHS the Gabriel creature. Uh, you kind of see it happen in this sort of scene where she's being attacked in jail for no reason other than that she's. I guess, sort of bridge looking or something. Then you have this just immensely satisfying, not that you want these girls to die or anything, but just very cool, um, satisfyingly gory, gross out, 
bonkers scene where she just dispatches. So many bones broken. Yeah. Bones popping through skin. Oh, yeah. We're talking. I mean, it's like the last scene of in Let Me In, you know? It's just like, it is satisfying yeah. in that way. And then the, um, I didn't think about it, but she's kind of stuck in a jail. I mean, she is stuck in a jail in the same way that we later see Gabriel stuck in the jail. Yeah. It's probably the same set piece. Yeah. Which is kind of I think funny. I, I kind of took that as like, that's where Maddie got that vision from is like yeah, um, yeah. the jail she was just in. Uh, but it's such a cool scene. And, you know, the mechanics of how Gabriel moves. Gabriel has to go back and get his uniform. Right. Yeah. He's got to go get his murder weapon because he loves Friday the 13th. He loves Michael Myers. He knows he's got to get into uniform. And at least we have um, little Winnie there, who is the screenwriter, the crime tech. Oh. <laughs> and she survives. Thank goodness. Yeah. And uh, I like that she wrote that she survives. She, she wrote that her own character survives. <laughs> right. It's like, I can do it. And then he just goes full Mortal Kombat. Oh, just, yeah. I don't know why cops are still running at him. Every cop yeah. thinks it's that like the, maybe it's the most, maybe I'll do it. Most cops killed in a movie since like the first Terminator movie where the Terminator just unleashes on the cop station, which back, I would have said until two years ago that you can't make a scene like that anymore, but I guess you can. <laughs> Where, I guess you can. I mean, I know it's a horror movie, but yeah, she kills every cop in that goddamn station. Yeah. But then luckily, Detective Moss and Detective Shaw show up and they give a good fight, too. There's some great tracking shots there, too, like with his, with Detective Shaw's shotgun and stuff. Like, it's just, it's the way it's choreographed yeah. is great. From that jail scene on, I just, I remember like pumping my fist in the air, just like, okay. It just becomes like a whole is, different this is movie. Amazing. Yeah. The way it's shot, as I said, the atmosphere of it, like the payoff of this big giant police room, like kind of comes into play because you get to this idea of, yeah, she can leap over her desk and jump on a ceiling and um, throw knives 30 feet across the room. And, you know, you know, these poor cops are just being dispatched left and right, except for our two heroes who kind of managed to live somehow. They didn't have to go that hard, as they say. <laughs> right. <laughs> they could have had their, As they say. Yeah, they could have had their movie. They could have had all the elements of this movie and re- end it with a reveal of like the the creature with his arms and it kind of been a kind of cool movie, but they, yeah. they went like a thousand <laughs> yards further and did that scene. They realized that the woman in the hospital is Gabriel and Maddie's mom. Mm. And so detective Shaw runs over there to see if he can help. And Sydney's already there trying to figure out what's going on. And she meets that officer in the hospital hallway. Who's pacemaker explodes. Yeah. Poor guy. Another kill on her kill sheet. And then Gabriel shows up, as predicted, to finish the job. Yeah, so she wants to apparently kill her mom for, or he wants to kill his mom for giving him up, or them up, which I guess led to this whole crisis. And I do like the idea that Maddie says at one point that she just wants, like, a blood connection with somebody. Which also probably pissed Gabriel off, because he's like, hey, I'm right here, in the back of your head. But then the idea that she doesn't have to have that actual blood connection to still have a connection, which the end was a little cheesy when they do have their heart to heart. But it is a it's a good sentiment to to reinforce, especially to people who have been ostracized by their families and not accepted. And that's okay to find to find acceptance and find family outside of just blood, because you never know. It could be uh, someone who takes over your brain and makes you murder him just because your blood relative doesn't always mean that's so great but i love it and i love the idea you know obviously at the end of the day she sides with her sister she sides with her sort of chosen family i suppose what really makes her switch her brain from her taking over gabriel is when maddie says he killed your babies which that shocked me because i honestly had kind of forgotten 
about that, you know. Well, she's had a lot going on. on. (laughs) A lot going on. So when she said that, I felt the same as Maddie. And I was like, oh, you're right. Like, fucking get him. You're right. You know, there's always that, like, idea of, like, a mom can get that, like, supernatural power to lift a car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of like, I kind of feel like she kind of got that power from realizing that he took away her babies. And that's what really made her lift that metaphorical car and put him in brain jail. But that um, gunshot to the head that Sydney got is still shocking, even though when you realize it's yeah. not real. Which is why, you know, I can't quite agree with you when you say that the end's cheesy, because you do have that, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, I know what you mean, but like, because uh, it, it, of the sort of everything around it, it can't quite, quite be that sort of saccharine. But, but you know, I do love the ending. And, I, and also, I mean, I'm rooting for Gabriel to come back. He's in jail. He, yeah. But he's not dead. Yeah, he says he's going to yeah. come back. I think Gabriel is one of the greater, you know, sort of horror movie, uh, I don't know if I've got a villain, but characters in a while. Like, you know, just from the concept of it to the execution of it. Such a cool creature. Um, a lot of practical effects. Everything from, you know, the talking to the radio to obviously it can, you know, F you up pretty quickly. And it just looks cool. <laughs> Like, it's really scary altogether, but the way he moves, the long hair. I was kind of wondering, like, last night, like, how would you do a, a, um, a Gabriel, like, say, Halloween costume? Like, I guess you would do the... Oh, that would be so cool. I don't know, the gloves. You have to kind of walk... Long trench coat. Put your shoes on backwards, maybe? Could you do that? Or I guess put your clothes on backwards. No, what would you do? Well, I guess you could just be Maddie in the front and then just put... <laughs> Party in the back. Your Gabriel in the back. <laughs> Maddie in the front, Gabriel in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love I love Gabriel. I love that character. I want Gabriel in every movie. Gabriel should host the Oscars. <laughs> like I just, <laughs> <laughs> five stars. We love Malignant. We stand Gabriel. Do you have any final thoughts on it? Or well, how do you think they would could do a sequel that would be creative? They probably won't. I mean, I, yeah, you're right. I don't know what they would do. Half the fun is worth figuring out what in the f is going on. Maybe Gabriel decides he wants to go find his other friend who. Was at the hospital. I think a little, I, I don't you think know, a little girlfriend there. That'd be cute. Or a little boyfriend. <laughs> he just wants to get married. As an attorney, how do you think her trial's going to go? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what? That's a good question. So, what would her charges be? Um, murder, obviously. Okay, so this brings us to our little true crime corner. Ooh, okay. And I just wanted to talk a, just a, a minute about disassociative identity disorder or DID, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. And so we had already talked about that a bit with Fight Club. Obviously, we've seen it in a lot of movies. It kind of became popular like back in the 70s. Remember when that book Sybil came out about the woman who said yeah. she had all the... Not that we were born in the 70s or anything, but still. <laughs> yeah. No. We're not that not old. That old. Oh, my God. And then there was the famous movie. It was, it was Sally Field, right? Who played Sybil, I think. And she- I actually don't know. I don't think I've seen that. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know that I've seen that. And then since then, obviously, it's been in Primal Fear, which I recently just watched on an airplane, which is a great rewatch. Still a great movie. I forgot that was a multiple personality Which movie. is funny because yeah. that's Ed Norton. And also, he's in Fight oh, Club. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I guess yeah. he does give that multiple personality vibe, I guess. I mean, recently there was Split. Yeah. And the sequel to it. Of course, this idea also goes all the way back to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Psycho in 1960. I mean, it is based on an actual diagnosis. You, it's in the DSM-5 
Disassociative identity disorder is you have to have at least two different distinct personalities that have different characteristics. They have whole different lives. There are people who do actually suffer from this. One of the cool things about TikTok is I follow a man who has DID and him and his wife, like they they show you how it works and how they function. And there's podcasts. I listen to a podcast where a woman, sometimes her alter records the podcast and releases it and she doesn't realize it. What? Yeah. It's also still very controversial in psychiatry and psychology. As in some people don't think it's quite a real phenomenon or yeah. Or a real diagnosis. Well I think or... it's also it's it's hard to to pin down. You can't just like take an MRI of the brain and see it okay. happening. I remember there's like a big misconception that like people used to just call it schizophrenia. Oh, I mean which yeah. is a whole other I mean I suppose you can be both, but like, you know, People would say, like, you're a schizo. You know, that used to be me, like, oh, you have two personalities. Yeah. But I am curious, because I just don't remember. I mean, I remember learning about this and obviously college level psychology, but what is the sort of, I guess, triggering mechanism behind it? Do you know? Or? It appears to be mainly like trauma from childhood. Most of the people that are involved have some sort of childhood trauma, abuse, neglect. It's very hard to prove because there are people who are doing it maliciously on purpose there are people who are doing it and it's not actually happening but they have convinced themselves that it is happening and then there's there are people who do appear to actually suffer from it and who are trying to manage it so one of the most famous uh did cases is the story of billy milligan who was he was the first person who was ever found not guilty by reason of insanity because of having DID. Back then it was called multiple personalities. This was in 1977. So Billy Milligan, he was arrested for kidnapping, robbery, and rape in Ohio. And he said that he didn't commit these crimes. His alter Reagan did. And when he went to trial, he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And so there was a book that was written by the same person who wrote um, Flowers in the Attic. Did you see Andrews? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Flowers for Algernon. Different book. <laughs> I mean, also it's a little less way, incest. Daniel Keyes, is that his name? Yes. So he wrote a book in 1981 called The Minds of Billy Milligan. Billy Milligan claimed to have over 24 different personalities. And he went through a lot of psychiatric facilities and became this huge, almost like star. So recently, what's so fascinating about this is that this is never going to not be in media because the new Apple Plus TV show, The Crowded Room, starring Tom Holland, is the story of Billy Milligan. Really? Yeah. Which I did not realize that. No, I haven't seen it. But my, I haven't either. I've heard it's quite good. I, I've heard mixed reviews. I wasn't yeah. sure. I remember reading about how Tom Holland like was really spent after that movie. I think it took a lot out of him. And he said that he was going to take a year off of acting, actually, because... Yeah, it that makes more sense so now that I, yeah, I thought it was just about like a serial killer or something. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was also a 2021 Netflix documentary called The 24 Faces of Billy Milligan. I mean, there's been a lot of people who have tried to use that they have, they blacked out, which is also different. So that would be like disassociative amnesia. That's whenever people claim that they, they black out, they don't remember things. Uh, if, if you watched Love and Death or Candy on Hulu. That was the story of the woman who murdered her friend with an axe. Did you watch either of those? 
No. Candy starred Jessica Biel. Love and Death starred... Um, Elizabeth Olsen? Yeah. Which one was I, better? I didn't watch Love and Death. My dad did. He really liked it a lot. But I feel like no. I just watched Candy, so I was like, I wasn't ready to like relive that story again. Yeah. I feel like I had to watch Love and Death because it has Jesse Plemons in it. I, I know. Them, I wanted you know, to, too. So. <laughs> yeah. I, I had no idea it was about... Um, the same thing Candy was, which not that I've seen that, but it's I the was, exact same story, yeah, which is fascinating. Was, but I think that happens sometimes. You know, we all live through Armageddon yeah. and Deep Impact. You know, for yeah. those or of us who are older, Volcano and Deep Right, or what was it? We talked about it. What were the worst episode? Volcano oh, really? and uh, Dante's Peak. Yes, yes. RC Volcano movies. Yes, that's my short corner on DID. Now, in this case with Maddie, the fact that you killed. Not only police officers, but I mean, over, I mean, I, I don't know, 25 people, maybe. I don't think there's any way that she can. Well, I suppose she could show the freaking creature in the back of her head to the <laughs> That's jury. True. That'd be funny, though, if like Gabriel would not come out. Like every yeah, time. Well, they could show the surgical scars. Or I'm sure there's got to be some x ray or cat skin. They have the they video. They have the yeah. video. But that said, they could still be like, oh, I mean, I can see a jury be like, I don't buy it. Yeah, that thing is just, you know, a tumor in your... She's not getting out, Maybe it'd be in this trial. But in the same sense, how are they going to arrest Gabriel if they don't arrest her? So Exactly. Know. Yeah. So, yeah, she belongs in the slammer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe part two can just be like a, a courthouse drama about uh, whether or not she has to go to jail or not. That'd be that would be cool. great. And then Gabriel can emerge in like at the final scene, like when Jerry's liberating and like kill all of them. <laughs> That'd be a great part too. That would be great. I think we should send this all to James Wan. Yeah. I'm so right that Millennium 2 should be a legal thriller. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Call John Grisham. I'd say five out of five altered medical awards that become weapons. But it's a great movie. It's a great time. Great directed, great acted, great creature design, great effects great cinematography i mean what more could you ask for well that was our welcome back episode yeah which we successfully uh, kept to 50 minutes <laughs> <laughs> somehow christine will make that work in the meantime please follow us on instagram sometimes dead pod we have a email sometimes dead podcast at gmail.com we have a facebook page that i don't really check anymore because we've moved on to tiktok so we do have a sometimes dead tiktok it's sometimes D-E-D, because sometimes dad was already taken. Really? Oh, creepy. Yeah. Do we want to um, advertise what we're doing next time? Is that a thing we do now? I think we know. Do we it, know right? what we're doing? I think we said we're going to do Barbarian. Okay. Uh, so we're going to jump ahead in time a little bit. And... Yeah, all the way to 2022. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We should be back everywhere, I hope, if, I, if we can figure it out. <laughs> Follow us on TikTok because that's where it's at now. That's where it's at because we're yeah. young and cool and hip. Yes, as you can tell. All right. Bye. Goodbye.